The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Hello. I am Amra Pali. I am to be your servant. Well, I must say you're a little more attractive than most of the servants I've seen around here. Is there anything else you wish? No, everything I wish appears to be right before my eyes in this room. It's curious, I've used that line before and it's evoked uh, some reaction. Don't you even blink? No. Well, if I told you a, a funny story, would you laugh? I do not laugh. Mm-hmm. Do you cry? Never. Uh, is there anything that makes you happy? Happiness is a contrived and temporary state of mortal mind. Well, I can't uh, disagree there. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, July 11th, 2019. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. To black and white Under the clothes, Everything will be alright Are you happy? Would you describe yourself in this way? Is, is it something that you obsess about? Is happiness even a thing? And that's the question that we'll be examining today, right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, and follow us on SoundCloud. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, our archived broadcasts, and of course, where we encourage you to offer your financial support and by so doing, become part of our effort to enlighten others about the true nature of freedom and capitalism. Now, in the wake of an increasing number of surveys attempting to measure the happiness of individuals and the collective populations of nations, I found it you know, somewhat necessary, I was actually compelled, to put these studies, such as they are, into some kind of useful perspective especially when using these measures as a political tool, has become so much more prevalent. The pursuit of happiness has always been associated with freedom, and with good reason. This is no coincidence. It's an association made even by people who are not aware that they are doing so. I thought we should start with some basic definitions. And then we can test those definitions against the experiences and perceptions of real people in the real world as expressed in their own words. So you can well imagine my surprise at discovering that my trusty Funk and Wagnall's dictionary did not even have any definition for the word happiness. In fact, the word was not in that dictionary, except as being cited as the noun that relates to the word happy, which was in the dictionary. Quote, Enjoying, showing, or characterized by pleasure, joyous, contented, attended with good fortune, lucky, produced or uttered with skill and aptness, felicitous, as in a happy phrase. However, my Webster's unabridged dictionary did have the word happiness in it and defined it thusly, the enjoyment of pleasure without pain, felicity, blessedness, satisfaction, good luck, 
good fortune, fortuitous elegance, appropriateness. Now, of course, those are pretty basic definitions, but I think happiness relates to a grander field of study, and that is philosophy. And for that, I always turn to Ayn Rand, who described happiness as the successful state of life. Pain is an agent of death. Now, right there, I have to stop for a second, because I actually found this opening statement to be a little bit of a non sequitur, since the opposite of success would be better described as failure. And failure is not necessarily associated with unhappiness or even with pain. Similarly, the opposite of pain is pleasure. And the mere experiencing of pleasure is not necessarily associated with happiness. But I think she got the rest of this pretty well. Quote, Happiness is that state of consciousness which proceeds from the achievement of one's values. A morality that dares to tell you to find happiness in the renunciation of your happiness to value the failure of your values is an insolent negation of morality. A doctrine that gives you, as an ideal, the role of a sacrificial animal seeking slaughter on the altars of others is giving you death as your standard. By the grace of reality and the nature of life, man, every man, is an end in himself. He exists for his own sake and the achievement of his own happiness is his highest moral purpose. But neither life nor happiness can be achieved by the pursuit of irrational whims. Just as man is free to attempt to survive in any random manner, but will perish unless he lives as his nature requires, so he is free to seek his happiness in any mindless fraud. But the torture of frustration is all he will find unless he seeks the happiness proper to man. The purpose of morality is to teach you not to suffer and die, but to enjoy yourself and live. While the standard of value operating the physical pleasure pain mechanism of man's body is automatic and innate, determined by the nature of his body, the standard value operating his emotional mechanism is not. Since man has no automatic knowledge, he can have no automatic values. Since he has no innate ideas, he can have no innate value judgments. The maintenance of life and the pursuit of happiness are not two separate issues. To hold one's own life as one's ultimate value and one's own happiness as one's highest purpose are two aspects of the same achievement. Existentially, the activity of pursuing rational goals is the activity of maintaining one's life. Psychologically, its result, reward, and concomitant is an emotional state of happiness. It is by experiencing happiness that one lives one's life in any hour, year, or the whole of it. And when one experiences the kind of pure happiness that is an end in itself, the kind that makes one think, quote, this is worth living for, end quote, what one is greeting and affirming in emotional terms is a metaphysical fact that life is an end in itself. But the relationship of cause to effect cannot be reversed. It is only by accepting man's life as one's primary and by pursuing the rational values it requires that one can achieve happiness. Not by taking happiness as some undefined, irreducible primary and then attempting to live by its guidance. If you achieve that which is the good by a rational standard of value, it will necessarily make you happy. But that which makes you happy by some undefined emotional standard is not necessarily the good. 
To take whatever makes one happy as a guide to action means to be guided by nothing but one's emotional whims. I am profoundly opposed to the philosophy of hedonism, notes Rand. Hedonism is the doctrine which holds that the good is whatever gives you pleasure, and therefore pleasure is the standard of morality. Pleasure is not a first cause, it is only a consequence. Happiness can properly be the purpose of ethics, but not the standard, end quote. So with these definitions and perspectives on the table, let's test them against the real experiences of real people in their everyday lives. To do that, we'll kick off with this upcoming sampling of opinions on the subject of happiness, as was heard a few weeks ago on the June 24th broadcast of the Tom McConnell Show that aired on CKTB AM 610 in St. Catharines and on CJBK AM 1290 in London, Ontario. Tom began his conversation with news reporter Stephanie Vivier, hot on the heels of a Leger survey that was taken on the happiness of Canadians. And I have to say that contrary to my own expectations, many of the open-line callers who called into his show actually had some valuable insights, experiences, and objective opinions to offer on this seemingly subjective an emotional exercise. All right, new survey you talked about in the news. New survey uh, and compiled by Leger about how happy are Canadians and some really interesting things that older people are happier than younger people. Money doesn't seem to be a real factor. There's a certain point where I think it becomes a factor. After that, it really doesn't. But I want to know, how happy are you? Super happy. Really? Like on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your happiness? Solid 13. Really? Absolutely. Okay. Because I said earlier with Ken and Lorena, they asked me about this. I said, I'm a 9 most days. I would say that about you. Would you say that about you? But you're a 13. You can't be a 13. 13. Between 1 and 10. That's all I get? Yeah. Okay, so 9.28. Okay, that's pretty good. It is. Because I think the the key to happiness is gratitude. And the part about the money is true. Because you can't be clear enough to even have that time to reflect and think, oh my gosh, what about these great things in my life? And it is, you know, this practice of every day just being very mindful of such simple things. Like you wake up and you have a roof over your head. It's exceptional in our world if we start to scale back. And it's easy to become wrapped up in the negativity of things that are around you and it really is what you focus on because we all have bad things in our lives but we i think i would argue can always find something good and, and even doing this job you know we kind of focus on those exceptional stories it's right. news because it's different and a lot of times remarkable tragedy involved uh, absolutely and you can uh, if you're around that too much you can think that that is what the world is or you can say wow that is an exceptional one-off situation and look at me over here I wonder if we use the wrong term, though, because happiness to me is one of those transitory states where I'm happy. Hey, I'm having an ice cream sundae. I'm going for a nice walk. We're at the amusement park. It's about being at peace or really contentment and fulfillment, which aren't really about happiness. It's not really it's like, yeah, but it's about being content and fulfilled in our lives. But maybe we use happiness as a short form for that or a code word for that. Are we happy? Well, I'm happy going to a great movie, right? But I'm really content and fulfilled. So maybe it's something different. To find happiness in contentment. Yeah. I would agree with that because 
you're not always going to be in that state of ecstasy and enjoying the ice cream, feeling those feelings of being. And I, and I, it would, and it would be diminished. Not to take away from anyone who deals with mental health, but sometimes I see complaints that can be labeled in that way, or people who go into anxious states, depressed states, let's call them, when they don't understand that life isn't always the upside of the roller coaster. It's also the downside. And that's why I say that gratitude is the key to all of those things. Because if you you don't always feel like doing all the things that you have to do. There's moments no. when you're doing the show and you're having a great time and you're getting great calls, you're getting you're having good conversations, but then there's the other things that have to happen in order for that to work. And it doesn't you don't always want to do that. Sometimes you just want to bag off on the couch and just watch golf. But it is the understanding that you can't get that happy stuff without sometimes paying some sort of price. And there is a falseness in social media and society right now that says it's always joyful. And if you are not, then you are not enough and you don't belong here and you're not doing it right. So it's all about the expectations or what the expectations we place upon ourselves of, of our lives are. Most influential on happiness, sense of freedom and the belief they were living the life they had imagined for themselves uh, 24 and 19% respectively were those are the key drivers. Greg, how happy are you? Scale of 1 to 10, G Campania, what are you coming in at? I'd have to break it down in sections. Like sections of the day, like no, sections like, like of my life. All right, so, so how happy are how's your with sleep? With my family, my how's sleep you, yeah. is uh, probably 8 out of 10 now. You say, yeah, now. Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. Your Easy. family with the boy. Perfect. It's 11. Okay. Out of all 10. right. All right. Like all my right. wife, my, yeah. my all of that. How's your street scene? My street scene? Like yeah, yeah, my, yeah. Like, like social like, life? No, your neighbors. You oh, know, I love my street. Okay. I would move, but I'd also stay. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I love my street. So and where's, my what's the great. problem? Uh, my job would be, yeah. I'd say, yeah, it's uh, about a... Gosh. <laughs> uh, four... Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Seven. Uh, All right. Seven. My pay is like at a two. Okay. Um, <laughs> what else? Uh, yeah, I'm. I like Steph said. Uh, you know, you wake up with a roof over your head and food in your belly, and yeah, a loving family, and I'm warm, and you know, these are the things you overlook. You you, you tend to forget. Booyah! What is up, my man? How happy's booyah? Apparently, ten out of ten. You got it, man. It's very simple, Tom. Simple for me, anyways. I got relatively with my age, my health is good. I yep. got a decent job. I pay the bills. I got three kids, two that are employed. The other one's going to school. What else can I ask for? The big thing with what I don't understand is I go to Central America every two years. I do missions work. Okay. And you can read about it in the paper. You can read it online. You know, you can Google all that stuff. But unless you go there firsthand and experience how the other side of the world lives, you come back with a perspective that you just can't teach. The last group we went down with, uh, young women and men, teachers and all that, out of the three of the nine that we went down there, they've life-altering changes in, in their world, the way they live, the way they perceive things, the way they purchase stuff. It's unbelievable. That alone, Tom, when I see that, that's the joy, man. That's my purpose. 
making those people understand what life is all about. Yeah. And the thing is, when we go and we travel and we experience different cultures, and it's one of that, that it's not the same standard of living, so to speak, those people are still happy. Like, that's the amazing thing. It's not as if, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in Guatemala. I will never be happy. It's like, those people are, a lot of people sometimes are even happier than those of us who have more. And that is so true. And I always refer back to, I'm 57 years old. Back when I grew up in the 70s, that's how it is down there. They don't have any electronics. You know, the kids are out there playing with a stick and a rock for baseball. They're running around all day. They get the appetite. They eat. They go to bed. Yeah. Life is good. There is no issues there, you know, relatively speaking, right? Other yeah. than the obvious, the, the government and all that stuff. But they live, as you said, they're more happier than us. I think we just, we get inundated with all this crap, electronics and peer pressure, social media. Get rid of it all. We'd all be happy. Yeah. That, that may be a good point. Johnny, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you? I'd have to say now, these days, Tommy. Yeah. Ah, maybe, maybe a 6. What is going on? Why are you not well, happy? I'll tell you. All right, here we go. When you lose the love of your life, right? I can assure you, for me anyway, it's it's totally different. It's a whole different ballgame. Now, when she was here, ten. Okay. Not a question. Ten. And no matter what my kids try to do or whatever, hey, uh, I can't change what is right. Yep. And that's the way there is. But I. I says, you are going to die. I'm going to die. And what we do here is the big thing. And what made me happy was, I can honestly tell you this, Tom, and you know I've had a, I've been married twice. All my kids are sound. Yep. They've all done good. I did the best I could. And to see them all, and now see grandkids and great-grandkids, I see the pictures, right? And I think to myself, you know, I was very lucky. Now, having said that, Tommy, I grew up in a very, very happy home. I never saw my mother and father argue. I never saw them argue. I've never heard my father swear. And you know what, Tom? What? A lot of it I never appreciated. All right. But now as you get older, you do, though. Uh, you, you know what? I see and I look at my mother and father's picture and I think, geez, you know, for what you, all the stuff you did. And they went over the line for me because I, I was a lot of work. I and the, said thank you. Yeah. Johnny? Get happy, will you? Six out of ten. David, how are you? I'm good, Tom. Yourself? I am well. On a scale of one to ten, how would you rank David's happiness? My happiness is always been ten out of ten. I am very, very blessed to be a single dad of a 13-year-old boy. And I thank the good Lord up above every day that I have my son. He is happy. He is healthy. And my joy, my pain, my sunshine, and my rain. And I really think outside of that and having family, you know, you you can't take it with you, Tom, in terms of money. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression, but you will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Now, why are people unhappy then? A state of mind, Tom. Uh, I think between needs and wants and being personally content within their lives, to be quite frank with you. I think one of the things we also have to watch out for, maybe by our constant focus on happiness, people, I don't know, can't feel happiness. Like that. maybe that's it. I don't know why. And, and, and maybe people are, you know, focusing on the wrong thing. I got to be happy. I got to be happy. I got to be happy. When maybe we should just be worried about doing something of purpose. 
I agree. And I think, as I say, Tom, you know, you can't love others until you love yourself. Yeah. And I think part and parcel of that, obviously, is happiness. Hey, David, you have a great day. Thank you, Tom. You too. I heard a lot of words being used in the descriptions of happiness by many of the callers that directly coincided with the various definitions of happiness we cited earlier. Everything from the use of the words blessed to lucky to contentment. Very significantly, as Tom pointed out, quote, a sense of freedom and living the life they had imagined for themselves were the key drivers in determining whether or not people considered themselves happy. And Stephanie Vivier's observation that it's easy to become wrapped up in negativity of the world around you depends on what you focus on in your life, like tragedy and politics. Here again, note that politics is so often associated with a negative and not a positive. And the caller, Buya, who went to Central America on mission work, also observed that the people there were generally quote-unquote happy, quote, other than the obvious, the government and all that stuff, end quote. You know, I think he was contradicting himself more than he realized. If the folks there are so happy, then why is there such a great crisis at the U.S. border with people risking their lives to get into the United States? And why does he observe that the Canadians who go there on missionary work come back with a renewed perspective of just how good they have it here relative to how people live there? And why is that missionary work necessary in the first place? You know, sometimes I think we're not seeing the forest for all the trees. If money doesn't buy happiness, then why are we so obsessed with getting more of it, asks the headline of January 12th Financial Post in an essay by Melissa Long, which is comprised of excerpts from her book, Happy Go Money. (laughs) Quote, Every day we make choices based on the idea that joy can be bought and that more money makes everything better. But the euphoria doesn't last. Then we just need more stuff. All that crap we buy loses its luster. We all need a certain amount of money to be happy, but how much? For those of us who are on the verge of losing our homes, who fret about feeding our children, who cringe when the phone rings because debt collectors may be calling, without question, more money will make us happier. But for the rest of us, before connecting cash with joy, we need to talk about what we mean by happy. Scientists in neuroeconomics, the study of how we make economic decisions, break happiness into two types. One, life satisfaction, an evaluation of your well-being as a whole, and two, day-to-day mood, the highs and lows, the kind of happy that most relate to the, quote, right now happiness, end quote. Now, you know, I really don't regard this second type as happiness. Even though it's understandable that the word might be misused in this way in describing feelings and moods that can change from minute to minute, I would not describe that as happiness. I would just describe that as the mood I'm in or how I'm feeling. To continue, in worldwide studies, people in richer countries reported higher life satisfaction than those in poorer countries. We should also consider that wealthier countries are more politically stable, more peaceful and less oppressive, which affects well-being. But according to a 2018 Purdue University study, there was a limit. Above that, more money didn't mean that you were more satisfied. Think of some of your happiest times in the past week. Were you spending it with people? Were you taking time to enjoy an activity, going for a run or catching up with a good friend? 
Would a wad of cash have made those moments that much better? Probably not. Basically, happiness is on a sliding scale. Think about how much this sucks. No matter what you have, you'll always want more, even if you have millions. It's like a curse, really. Despite what we may think, winning a lottery doesn't buy you a one-way ticket to Euphoria Town. Research has shown that our inner thermostats are set somewhere between happiness and sadness. They can rise and fall depending on the circumstance, but they generally return to that baseline. So if you were a miserable moaner before hitting the jackpot, you'll likely just be a rich miserable moaner after. Next time you want to play the lottery, buy someone a coffee or put the money into a donation box instead for a guaranteed happiness payoff, end quote. So what's she saying there? Altruism is the key to happiness? I don't think so. I think she, she's she been talking about materialism throughout this whole essay, not, not happiness per se. However, note the observation that, quote, people in richer countries reported higher life satisfaction than in poor countries. We should consider that wealthier countries are more politically stable, more peaceful, and less oppressive, which affects well-being. End quote. Well, she got that part right at least. It is inescapable, that direct relationship between individual freedom and happiness. Expecting happiness, reads the headline from the August 6, 2014 National Post in an article by Sarah Bosveld, who says, Equation says happiness is beating expectations. Quote, Researchers in Britain have created a mathematical equation they claim can accurately predict moment-to-moment happiness, a rare quantifiable study in the emerging field of happiness research. What the equation basically shows is that the moment-to-moment happiness doesn't depend on how well we do in general, it depends on whether we're doing better or worse than expected, said the senior researcher at the Max Planck UCL Center for Computational Psychiatry and Aging. Researchers had 26 participants play a decision-making game in which they made money and lost money. All the while, they were asked, how happy are you right now? As they performed their task, participants' neural activity was measured with an MRI to track the brain's release of dopamine, the neurotransmitter active in a risk-reward scenario. From these results, scientists created a computational model in which self-reported happiness was related to recent rewards and expectations. Happiness increases if the expectation is lower than the outcome. If it's lower than your expectation, happiness will decrease. The study seeks to quantify this happiness rather than study its merits or value in people's lives in the hope that it will make their data useful for policymakers uh-oh, trying to square expectations on the part of constituents with whatever the results may be, end quote. Well, how many of this relates to happiness is anybody's guess. Given the focus on winning and losing money in a decision game, it sounded more like they were playing Monopoly than actually measuring happiness. There's no context, really. To measure how well we're doing at making money in a game could also relate to the euphoria and depression experienced by gamblers in a game of poker that's not exactly about happiness, if you ask me. Another thing often associated with happiness is optimism. But according to Roger Scruton, who wrote way back in 2013 in the National Post on March 26th, under the headline, Optimism Kills, he noted that from communism to the Arab Spring to the subprime mortgage crisis, global disasters usually begin with bursts of hopeful thinking. Quote, Consider the collective enthusiasm that launched the First World War. 
the belief in a new order of social justice that fired the Bolsheviks, the craze for national unity that brought Hitler to power, and the simultaneous triumph of the Peace Pledge Union in Britain, which impeded the efforts to arm against him. These are just a few of the myriad examples which show us that in any emergency, it is optimism that triumphs and the prophets of doom who are pushed aside. We witness something similar in the so-called Arab Spring. A small amount of thought about the forces that would inevitably be unleashed by the collapse of the Arab autocracies would have caused the Western powers to be a little more cautious in endorsing the changes. It's easy to trace disasters in retrospect to the bursts of unfounded optimism that gave rise to them. We can trace the crisis of the euro to the belief that countries can share a single legal currency without also sharing loyalty, culture, and habits of honest accounting. We can trace the disastrous attempt to introduce responsible government to Afghanistan to the idea that democracy and the rule of law are the default conditions of mankind, rather than the precious achievements resulting from centuries of discipline and conflict, end quote. And wow, is that last statement certainly true. I don't, however, think that it's optimism that kills. I wouldn't go that far. It's not, it's not the optimism. It's being detached from reality. That's the consistent theme that came out in every single example cited. Pessimism would be just as deadly if it was detached from reality, especially if you're pessimistic about the value of individual freedom. Now here again, a couple of more comments from Tom McConnell's open line callers as heard on June 24th. Vince, how are you? Out of 10. 1 to 10, how happy are you? Oh, uh, number 10. All right, wow. Why is Vince so happy? Well, because uh, health is not too bad. I'm diabetic. I watch what I eat, whatever. Uh, You're blind. That doesn't that doesn't affect you at all. Your blindness. No. Nope. Nope. Good for you. But I watch what I eat. Okay. Uh, like uh, uh, homemade bread uh, or wheat. Anyway, my diabetes is very good. Okay, my eyesight, retinitis pigmentosa that people knows out there. The chapter. Uh, I still got some sight day and night, uh, so I have a family. Uh, my son uh, and uh, grandchildren is in Australia, but I wouldn't change Canada for any other place. Uh, I did vote, uh, like I said, the Ford, uh, like, you know, the, uh, before that I never voted. So I'm very happy person, this guy. All right, Vince. Hi. Thank you. Vince is happy. Susan, how are you? How happy are you? Not really. Okay. Uh, no. No way. Now, is it because of recent circumstances? Obviously, no, you've been through no. a lot, or just you're just generally not happy? Oh, no, 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 no. I was really happy, and yes, it has to do with the circumstances. Okay. Be because, okay, I was in Alberta for about 10 years of my life running a super successful business. The people just next door in Alberta, the province, even though it's getting slashed and bashed on the radio and everything... It's a great province to live in, my friend. The people there are kind, kinder than here, for one. The government backs the people up there. I mean, it, taxes are half of what we're paying here. I mean, it's a great place to live. And when I came back to Ontario for my dad's illness, of course, just driving east here to Ontario and then when I cross the border it's like doom and gloom uh, 
it was weird. It was like, oh my God, Ontario behind a medieval fence, like drugs and prescriptions and, and people are working hard and trying to make a buck and the stress levels up and the innocent people and underdogs, well, they're shoved on the side of the road somewhere. You know, no money, no honey, as they say, right? So over here, it was just like all this negative and the just everything negative and it's like i've talked to other people from ontario that went out there and they went day and night day and night province day and night you know susan i gotta leave it there thanks for the call though you have a great day ontario actually is at the bottom only 49%, pardon me, 47% of Ontario residents report a high level of happiness compared to it. The East Coast is the happiest, 56. Usually we're her last clients on Monday. But when we left, there was a man there waiting for Vivian. She seemed surprised to see him like he wasn't expected. Oh, and he seemed upset, I could tell. Could you describe him? He's wearing dark clothes. He had black hair going gray at the temples. Oh, and he had a scar on his face. I think she called him Alfred. Or was it Albert? Okay. Well, thank you both, you've been very helpful. How long had you been going to see Vivian? Four months. My husband, Emilio, passed away in April. We both miss him so much. So she was helping you get closure? Yes. Even at our first session, Vivian already knew so much about my Emilio. Like what? Well, she knew he made vitamins for a living. She knew he loved arroz con pollo. She also knew he was a workaholic. And that he even died at the office. Vivian said she thought Daddy had something very important to tell us. She was going to commune with the spirit last night. Now we'll never know. I'm not going to believe this. Vivian's daughter is pretty sure that Albert is Albert Moreno. Albert the Blade Moreno? Former muscle for the Spilano crime family. So Vivian helped put him away? Mm-mm. He's her client. Vivian told Albert that if he invested in a New Jersey real estate deal, true happiness would be his. The deal fell through a month ago. He lost everything. Ouch. You give a guy like that bad advice, he'll see to it you are sleeping with the fishes. Or you get stabbed in the neck with an ice pick and stuffed in a couch. Yes, I went to see her. Three months ago, Vivian told me I should invest in some real estate deal. She knew that I had quit my day job. I was looking to set myself up for retirement. She told you the investment would bring you true happiness, but instead you lost it all. I was upset. And then she canceled our last appointment and stopped returning my phone calls. And then you decided to pay her a visit yesterday around two o'clock. I told her I'm on my way to meet my broker. I'm selling my home because I can't pay my mortgage no more. And then what happened, Mr. Moreno? Did you get angry? Did things get physical? No. But I was mad. And when I'm mad, sometimes people get nervous. She begged me to let the universe sort itself out. And she said she was late for an appointment uptown. Did she say with whom? No. By then I was late to meet my broker, so I left about 2.30. And just like that, 
the universe, it sorted itself out. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Turns out my uh, broker's partner is uh, Laureen here, my high school sweetheart. We broke up in 82, but we never got over each other. The minute I laid eyes on her again, I haven't left her side. And I've never been so happy. So, Vivian was right. Investing in the real estate deal brought you to bankruptcy, which in turn brought you to Laureen and true happiness. Extraordinary. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. A couple of things stood out for me in listening to the callers, Vince and Susan, that we just heard on the previous side of the last bumper break. Although Vince said he wouldn't trade Canada for any other place, he also admitted to never having voted until Doug Ford in last year's provincial election. A politician, ostensibly on the right, as leader of the Progressive Conservative Party, who showed up on the political scene in Ontario. Vince said that he was, quote, happy with this guy, which implies he wasn't very happy with the previous political choices offered him in past elections. Sad to say, Susan, who moved back to Ontario from Alberta, made several observations that I've heard expressed personally to me by many other people who left Ontario for a while to return later. Susan's description of her unhappiness experience seemed less about her personal circumstances of having to return to Ontario to look after an ailing father than it did with her experience about the political and social conditions found in the province. As she said, quote, crossing the border into Ontario, the comparison was doom and gloom. It was weird. Ontario is behind a medieval fence. And her impression was that everything in Ontario is negative. Well, in a way, the Ontario experience seems to reflect the happiness measurement of France that was taken back in 2013 and sounds an awful lot like the following assessment of France as was reported in the National Post on March 26th of that year. Why the French really are les misables <laughs> by Scott Barber. And he writes, quote, France has good wine, a great culture, a 35-hour work week, and a miserable population. A study by the Paris School of Economics shows that despite having all the things needed for a good life, the French are among the unhappiest people on the planet. Despite free access to health care, hospitals, public school and universities, dissatisfaction is so prevalent in France it ranked worse than Iraq and Afghanistan in a study of expectations for 2012, according to a Win Gallup poll. Among the findings, the French unhappiness is mirrored, quote, by a low level of trust in the market and in other people. French natives are less satisfied with the state of the economy in their country, with the state of democracy, with the state of the education system. This is driven by the particularly high number of French respondents reporting feelings of anger and worry and the low frequency of feelings of enjoyment and happiness. It's not the language, as surveys show francophone individuals are happier than English-speaking people in Canada. Well, given that English-speaking Ontario scores at the bottom of the Canadian Leger survey, this comment certainly bears out still today. And it continues, similar results were found in other multilingual nations such as Belgium and Switzerland. This suggests that there is something in the culture that makes French people miserable. Many in France feel skeptical and uneasy about the new world order. There is something deep in the French ideology that makes them dislike market-based globalization, notes researcher Claudia Senec. 
The solution would be to learn more foreign languages and to travel more, Ms. Senek said. This would help the French fit more easily into this globalized world, end quote. We'll have a number of objections to this assessment of the French situation. First, that cited low level of trust in the market and in other people is really a low level of trust in a free market and in the free choices of other people. But even so, the suggestion that the French, quote, dislike market-based globalization, end quote, is a mischaracterization of their dislike. It's a political globalization that has taken root in France, not a market-based one. Here again, free market being the operative term. Note their dissatisfaction with, quote, the state of democracy and their education system, end quote, both government-dominated and controlled. Hello? Socialism, anyone? Of course, the French brand of socialism has always tilted to the fascist side of the left. This is the French ideology that's being referred to. And to suggest that a solution to France's happiness malaise is to help the French fit more easily into this globalized world is exactly the opposite of what we've been seeing and hearing in the current round of political discontent in that country. I mean, if anything, France needs its own Brexit strategy, which seems to me to be the only way to regain control of its own democratic institutions and mechanisms. In his March 27, 2013 editorial, reflecting on that same study, National Post commentator Peter Foster, under the heading Gross National Unhappiness, sarcastically asked, What could the French possibly have to be unhappy about? They live in a comprehensive welfare state with free education and health care, even if it is patently unsustainable. They bask in rigid restrictions on effort, including a 35-hour work week overseen by powerful labor unions. They have an egalitarian socialist president, who was then Francois Hollande, who wants to ban homework because middle-class children get more help from their parents. They belong to a dysfunctional European Union that is run by a bunch of raving incompetents. They have sluggish growth, high unemployment, a hefty national debt, and a deficit well above that stipulated by the EU, which they must address by cutting spending or raising taxes. Again, this sounds a lot like Ontario, doesn't it? Study researcher Claudia Senek, however, apparently does not see economies through the lenses of the great French free market champions of the past. Thus, she is puzzled about how forced equality might, in destroying liberty, have crippled fraternity and thus happiness, end quote. Now consider what we've been seeing in France today, in 2019, in light of that country's happiness index, the rioting in the streets, the yellow vest movement, the increasing conflicts between conflicting cultures living within the same borders. Does anybody see a possible cause of France's perceived misery? Freedom is certainly not the direction in which France is heading. It's ever leftward when it comes to the French, who apparently vote that way despite its impact on their perceived happiness. Now, in stark contrast to that French happiness study of 2013, consider the more recent United Nations studies that we repeatedly hear suggest that the most free country on the globe, the United States, ranks relatively low in happiness measurements when compared to many of the world's more socialist nations. That's the very topic that arose on an April 25, 2019 campus discussion featuring panelists Candace Owens, Charlie Kirk, and Brandon Tatum when confronted with this seeming paradox. Okay, so in the beginning you claimed America's greatest country in the world. I just Correct. wanted to hear you say personally why you believe that to be true. 
America is the greatest country in the history of the world. It's the most generous, most benevolent, most productive, most forward-thinking, most accepting, most uh, entrepreneurial country ever to exist. Well, the United Nations could give you about 17 reasons why we're not the greatest country in the world. I've seen According these to their happiness report. Right. Okay, I don't, okay, that's a really good, that's a great question. How do you measure wait, happiness, wait. by the way? But, but here's the question is... I'm really is, happy. Is greatness... <laughs> well, our country does have pretty outrageous rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. Is that not an indicator of an unhealthy country? Is greatness defined by happiness? That's an interesting question. Well, first of all, when you take in half of the world's immigrants and you have aspirational, upward-thinking people, the, the word that first comes to happy when you think of it is, are you comfortable with where you are? When you have a country that is based on becoming better tomorrow than you are today, you're not comfortable with where you are. Well, well we just lost another rank in the happiness report last year we were 17th we're 18th well, now so again here's how i define striving for achievement how about guys how about most medical patents that have saved lives most valuable companies most entrepreneurs of consequence most the, the greatest capacity to strive to serve the needs and wants of other people not asking for anything in return 90 out of 100 of the most valuable companies in America are, are from America, which comprises 5% of the world's population. I don't, think those, I don't think those medical patents are doing much good for everyone who dies from How about well, polio? You think the polio vaccine helped the world? I think uh, opioids probably kill more people than polio, so that's a little bit more on my radar. What, the, what is? The opioid crisis. Have you heard of it? You think the opioid crisis is a solely American phenomenon? No, but... <laughs> And by the way, I do have a question. Could you name a country that's better than America, that's greater than our country? I could probably name about 17 right here. Because the United Nations, hold on, hold on. Well, well then, let, let me say this, let me say, I think you, I think you could Are you planning on leaving? What's up? Are you planning on leaving? Yeah, here shortly. Yeah, right. So I think you're conflating two things. Bon voyage. <laughs> you're conflating two things, right? The country being great and people not appreciating it. That's two different things. This is the greatest country on planet Earth. Sure, if you value and, money. And, and whether, and, and this, is, this, is, this is what I have to say to respond to that, whether you're happy or not is based on your feelings. Because I'm happy. I don't want to live anywhere else, and I will never live anywhere else. And, that, and, and, and nobody can judge that, put that on a piece of paper, because nobody ever interviewed me about how happy I am. So I don't care about those silly uh, uh, tests and all these numbers that people put together there's nowhere else in the world that you would want to live and you say you do but the reason that you're still here because it's the greatest country there's nowhere in the world you could be free there's nowhere in the world you can be as proud there's nowhere in the, nobody in the world that can kick our butt militarily so you you feel free to go anywhere you want to go but you'll be back to America I promise And, and this is one of the only countries where you can say what you're saying and say it's not the greatest and you not go to jail. I'm not right? saying I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't believe it's the greatest country, not anymore. That's fine. But, I mean, I'm not saying it's a shit country, it's a good place to be. Like, it's a great country. Look, it's uh, listen, just, here's a, it, happiness, just so you know, is an impossible metric to measure. It's, it's absurd I to disagree. Me. It's, an absur it's absurd I, to me that they're saying they're, they're doing surveys on happiness. I mean, when, I'm a psychology defining, major, if I went around pretty the world, good at... Um, oh, well. Yeah. Oh, like, then you know. I guess you know. Yeah, Never mind. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with I guess with you know how happy I am.
because you are a psychology major. I'm pretty familiar with how easy it is. I love to these sorts of arguments. I majored in psychology, therefore I know how happy you are and how it can be defined. You what a bizarre thing to no, say. but I'm just saying. It's an impossible metric. Your claim every, every, is that happiness is difficult to The way people define happiness is different from I'm person to person. It is different from person to person. Some people define happiness in terms of how much success they have in their jobs. Some people define happiness by how much family time they can create. Some people define happiness by being alone and sitting alone with their cat. That's me, okay? Like, there's all different types of ways to measure happiness, so it's bizarre to me to think that they've created some mass survey at the United Nations that determines how happy we are in a nation. I have to say, I'm pretty happy too. I think the people in this room would agree that we love America, and I appreciate your psychology degree you're working on. No other country has voluntarily sent hundreds of thousands of their own citizens to die for the freedoms of others. No other country has taken in half of the world's immigrants and still be called bigoted and sexist and racist. No other country has had 90 out of 100 of the most productive companies with 5% of the world's population. And there's a reason why there's a waiting list that is double the size of our population to get into here. It's because we have a unique identity and that identity is built on ideas. The idea of acceptance, tolerance, freedom, liberty, that you can have these conversations without the suppression of others. Thank you for your question. Lovely service, Lister. You should have come. Most uplifting. What's wrong with you? Ah, it's November. Nearly time for your bath. <laughs> Please, just spare me the good mood. I just can't handle it right now, okay? What happened to you? I'm sick of it, that's what. I'm just totally, totally sick of it. Sick of what? I'm sick of you and your silly green suits. I'm sick of your stupid flared nostrils. I'm sick of the way you always smile when you're being insulted. I'm sick of the cat. I'm sick of Holly. I'm sick of you. I'm sick of me. And that's for Crichton. I'm sick of him. I'm sick of this ship. I'm sick of this life. I'm just sick of it. You're unhappy, aren't you? <laughs> Equating the greatness of a country with individual assessments of happiness within it, I think, is a bit of a non sequitur. When that student posing his questions commented that the United States is not the greatest country in the world, not anymore, the obvious implication is that at some time in the past, he did regard the United States as the greatest country. So why the change in attitude? Two possible reasons come to mind. One, America is becoming increasingly socialist, abandoning the principles that made that country great in the first place. And two, he's allowing himself to be influenced by the happiness of others and in particular, the United Nations surveys that consistently place the freer nations and those with fewer socialistic programs on a lower scale than the socialist countries that score higher. The very definition of happiness under the UN political survey is completely divorced from individual freedom. To the UN, freedom is a lesser value than what you can get for free. In an article written by Vanessa Farcarson called The Pursuit of Happiness, she asked, is our quest for contentment making us miserable? Quote, according to the UN's World Happiness Report, Danes, Finns, and Norwegians are the most joyful people in the world. Canadians come in fifth. 
The search for happiness shouldn't be a competition, but it should be taken seriously, argues Jeffrey Sachs, one of the report's editors and a prominent U.S. economist. Asking people whether they are satisfied with their lives offers information about a society, he says. We need only look at the thousands of books published each year on the topic to see just how preoccupied we are with discovering the ever-elusive secret to fulfillment. But this relentless quest might, ironically, be making us less happy than ever before. British journalist Oliver Berkman explores this idea in his book The Antidote, Happiness for People Who Can't Stand Positive Thinking. Berkman suggests that we should start exploring the negative path instead, one that embraces failure, insecurity, and uncertainty. Indeed, the latest research is starting to prove that attaining happiness involves experiencing the opposite from time to time. At the same time, tragedy isn't a necessary prerequisite. There are plenty of steps we can take to boost our mood. The key is to not obsess about it. And then they list three myths, what they call merry myths, about happiness. And one of them is, money doesn't buy happiness. True enough, our emotional states are rarely tied to things we own, but there's one instance where cash does equal contentment when we spend it on others. Two, there's power in positive thinking. Recent studies demonstrate equal merit in our ability to see the glass half empty. The more we embrace uncertainty and the possibility of failure, the more we are at peace with fate. And finally, three, you're either born happy or you're not. Only 50% of our happiness is genetic, they write. The other half is learned, which means we can take steps towards becoming happier even later in life, end quote. Well, I really can't reconcile the idea that 50% of our happiness is genetic. If we use Ayn Rand's definition that happiness is that state of consciousness which proceeds from the achievement of one's values, that's not a genetic phenomenon. You might as well just say that ignorance is bliss. Nor do I buy into the notion that we heard expressed by another study earlier that cash equals contentment when we spend it on others. Back to that altruistic notion again, which I think is more about asserting one's own superiority over others than it is about the achievement of values. By altruistically giving money to others, are we not therefore depriving them of achieving their own values and earning their own money and therefore their own happiness? As my good friend and leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario reminded me, having money doesn't make people happy, earning money does. But I do agree that the more we embrace uncertainty and the possibility of failure, the more at peace we are with fate. So having reviewed and heard a lot of these various opinions on the subject, here are some of my conclusions and observations about the nature of happiness. First, you can't earn your happiness any more than you can earn your money by dwelling on the pursuit of money or happiness and isolation of the means by which you will achieve either. Each is a consequence of the actions you take or do not take in their achievement. You can't get happiness without paying some kind of price, noted Stephanie Vivier early on in the show. Same applies to freedom, doesn't it? Second, true unhappiness seems to me to be most associated with the loss of some great value, a spouse or a child, a member of the family, and on a greater scale, the loss of freedom itself. But beyond those two conclusions, there are a few other observations that come to mind whenever I confront happiness studies and surveys of this sort. 
I often wonder how accurate happiness surveys actually are, given that most people who respond to them seem to indicate a relatively high level of happiness. I can't see people who are genuinely unhappy and miserable even participating in such surveys, and the few who do seem to report their unhappiness most often also seem to be relating their complaints about their political environment and condition. On Tom McConnell's show, only two of his callers, the two we heard, actually admitted to not being happy. All the rest believed that their happiness rated nearly a 10 out of 10. (laughs) One of the more disturbing things about happiness surveys is also that they are most often conducted by economists and economic organizations whose main function is to measure things. And measuring things certainly has some utility, but very rarely do such measurements define cause and effect and only effects can ever be measured. Happiness is less an economic phenomenon than it is a philosophical one. After all, if anything is proven to be consistent in how people relate to happiness, it is their philosophy about life, not their economic status and accomplishments. And then there's a matter of definitions. Sadness and happiness are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Unhappiness and happiness are. Discontent and contentment are mutually exclusive, but I can still be discontented about something and be happy at the same time. And there appears to be little question that one's perception of happiness has something to do with expectations. That certainly seems to be true. And like freedom, which is a social and political condition, happiness is a psychological condition pertaining to an individual's well-being. Like freedom, happiness is most noticed in its absence. So to wrap it up, it's still okay to ask questions like, can money buy happiness? If in doing so, we recognize that the real answer to that question is no, given an understanding that again, like freedom, it's an absence of money that can lead to a great deal of misery and unhappiness. I'm reminded of a saying made by the late Sophie Tucker, as originally was brought to my attention by one of Freedom Party's original founders, Murray Hopper, quote, I've been rich and I've been poor, and honey, rich is better, end quote. And who could argue with that? But again, like money, freedom is a necessary condition, but not a sufficient one to achieve happiness. Bottom line, happiness and freedom go hand in hand. In fact, to experience one is to have the other. And if you think that's rich, Be sure to enrich yourself again by making a point of joining us next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Sabrina Mulholland Jones. Yes. The Sabrina Mulhollinger Jones, model, best selling novelist, and international jet setter? Yeah, she's me bed. <laughs> she's me bed. You talk about the Duke of Lincoln's eldest daughter as me bed? Gilbert, can you escort Mr. Rumor to the door? But I've come here to save you. Throw him out, Gilbert, he's a nutter. You care to step this way, sir? But we were friends, we were buddies. Let's not have a scene, sir. You call this happiness? Surrounded by toadying lackeys and paid sycophants? Living with a love goddess, sex bomb model megastar? You call this contentment? You know, I stand here now and I look at the two of us and I ask one simple question. Who is the rich man? 
You, with your 58 houses, your private island in the Bahamas, your multi-billion pound business empire, or me, with... with... with what I've got. It's you, isn't it? Yes, it's all very clear to me now. You, richer and happier. This way, sir. Should have thought a bit harder about that speech, really. <laughs> I got a bit, didn't I?